Hello, and welcome to the first episode of A Beholder's Chronicle, the story between the pages. I have decided to start this podcast as a way to force myself to work on the lore for my world in a concise manner and be able to present that lore to a larger group of people rather than just those I play with. I will also be using this podcast to tell stories of the games that I run, as well as have others on to tell us about their worlds. I have seen and played in so many amazing homebrew settings, and I really want to make sure that all of them are getting the attention they deserve. The podcast will be released on a weekly basis, alternating lore weeks with story weeks. Lore weeks will be where I tell you about all the lore and more that you need to know about the world of Stockterra, and guests will tell you about their worlds. In-game story weeks will be the days for stories from Stotera in the worlds of guests. I currently run two games in the world and I'm looking to run more, so I have plenty of wacky stories to tell you about my players. <laughs> I guess let me start by introducing myself. I am the pungent master of most of the games that I am in, and I also go by pun on most platforms. I've played Dungeons and Dragons since about 2009, and I've worn the mantle of Dungeon Master since about 2016. I have a particular disdain for module worlds and stories, and so whenever I became a Dungeon Master, I began creating my own world. And when I say I have a disdain, I just mean that I don't necessarily like the restrictiveness that I feel when I play in someone else's setting. I have nothing against module settings themselves and those who play in them. I just feel better knowing that I can't mess anybody's lore up other than my own. Growing and building this world with my players has been some of the most fun I have ever had. I have run dozens of different games in this world and each time I get to add more and more lore from the questions they ask and from the campaign itself. I've had players build whole swaths of lore for their background. There's groups, places, and people that have never existed before they entered my world and that persist even after they have stopped playing in my world. I have long believed that Dungeons and Dragons is a group storytelling game, so why should my world be only created by me, myself, and I? With all that out of the way, let's get started on the world of Stopterra. There is so much to be said about this world as I've been building it for over five years now. In this episode, we're just going to go over the general world overview that I wrote years ago and tweaked to fit this podcast. Eons ago, there was only Io. Io in the void. Then, all at once, she breathed into the void creating all of the planes and everything in them. Of these creations, she grew an undeniable fondness for the material plane. Io would often visit and mingle with her favorite creations on this plane. This was the Age of Peace, though it did not last long before some beings saw this and became enraged. These beings sought power to maybe impress the goddess of all things. 
and somewhere within the year, negative 3,741, there was a tipping point that ended the Age of Peace and began the Great Rebellion. In time, lesser gods rose up, and rather than worship her, her beloved creations began to worship them. But Aya was not vain nor jealous, and did not require her creations to worship her alone. The other gods, however, were far less gracious. They saw that their power did nothing to sway the attention of the goddess and wanted more. One day they rallied against Io in an attempt to throw her from her seat of power. A war was waged that would last an age. Though Io herself did not participate in the fighting, her followers on the material plane fought against the forces that would ruin her. Many lives were lost, and much of the once fruitful land was turned to waste. Io witnessed all of this chaos and destruction, and she vowed to end the senseless fighting. The conflict at its heart was the imbalance of power between herself and these lesser gods. And so, to save the mortals of her favored plane, Io sacrificed herself allowing a blade to sever her soul from her material body. But Io was not destroyed, and instead was split into two dragon deities, Tarum and Eusit. All that was once Io is now in these two gifts. Tarum, the five-headed dragon goddess embodying the soul of darkness and destruction, and then Eusit, the platinum dragon god embodying the light of soul in creation, neither of them exactly evil or good, just two sides of the same coin. The twin dragon deities are not the only thing that it is said Io gave the plane in her death. Her blood fell to the ground and created the dragonborn race, fierce and noble with fire in their hearts. Her tears fell and created the kobold race, clever and cunning with love in equal portion. It is said before giving herself for peace, Io had six artifacts created to help keep balance in the world. The stories of old tell us that these artifacts hold the power to maintain the balance of Statera, and though no one has seen them since the Age of Strife, if they are truly out there, they lay dormant, waiting for the chosen few to wield them and protect the state of this plane. In her dying moments, Io looked up into the sky and released a roar that would split the continent in two. Referred simply to as the Great Split, her dying breath was released into the air, and for miles every creature saw her ethereal breath rise into the air. The last breath of Io can be seen approximately every 500 years, and when the comet-like figure appears, it always seems to be moving toward the Great Split, no matter where you are on the plane. Sadly, the death of Io did not stop the fighting. It actually spurred more of the plane into war and started the Age of Blood. 
Seen as an embodiment of Io, the twin dragon deities were perceived as a threat to the power the lesser gods sought. There was now even fighting amongst the remaining followers of Io. There were those that thought a usage should lead, as he was most like his mother of light and creation. And the other faction wanted Tarum to lead, as she had the strength and power to destroy those who had killed the goddess of all things. With the split ushering in the Age of Blood, it is marked by a new age of heroes, not gods, stepping up and helping the plane. This marks the year zero in the world of Statera. During the Age of Blood, Tarum and Eusit instilled powers unto mortals and pulled energies from the ether to create a small army of deities that would be loyal to them and them alone. And of these dozens of deities that were created, only six of them remain to this day. There is Hamas, the goddess of nature, said to be the queen of the elves of old, the mother of nature herself, and sister to Tenos. She resides in her plane of power, Vitalun. It's a forest filled with mystical creatures and beings. There's Tenos, the brother of Hamas, the god of chaos, the lord of tides and treachery. Tenos is worshipped by the vagabonds, the sailors, and the outcasts of Satera. His plane is referred to as Kaudam. It is divided into three sections, Limbo, Laude, and Languish. Bellum is the god of war and is often depicted as a large red dragonborn, though history cannot even recall if he began his story as a dragonborn of red scales or if he has been stained from the countless battles he has been in. Mordlocus is his plane, and it's where warriors go when they die. Bari, the goddess of battle, is the epitome of kobolds. Eusit made her his personal general in the wars for her cunning and battle sense. Bari has led as many battles as Bellum has been a part of. Her plane is concilium and is one of calm and peace. The deity of knowledge is named Siri. They are always depicted as either a librarian or scholar of some sort, though they have been depicted as both male and female. They are said to be able to find you at your lowest and give you the knowledge you seek. Though you ought to be careful what you wish for, because all knowledge has a price. It is said that Ciri's Plain is a large library, bigger than Statera itself, called Fabu Tergum, where they log everything that has happened in the plain of Satera and everything that will. Isir is the deity of wisdom and is often depicted as pure energy or light. Isir is the deity of understanding and they are more likely to be worshipped by the upper class as a symbol of power and action. Their plane is Loco Lucris, 
It is a place that rewards those for patience and understanding. The war waged on with the twins and their armies posed against the rest of the plane. The plane was ravaged even further as they destroyed the rest of their mother's opposition. The twins, after centuries of hard-fought battles, won against those who stood against them. But not even that brought peace. The twins decided that they should fight amongst themselves in the age of strife over who ought to be the one with true power. And what little of the plain of Statera stood fell in their wake. They fought against each other until a group of noble heroes sought to banish them away in a cage they had built on the ethereal. Ancient texts say that the heroes found and used the artifacts of Io to create the cage and bind the dragon deities, but none can be sure for certain. It was only then that the plane was truly able to rebuild from ages of war thus starting the Age of Balance. Named after the balance, the heroes sought with the remaining deities so that all could live in peace. In the aftermath of the Great Rebellion, all but two of the original deities fell. Many were struck down at the hands of the twin dragon deities themselves in retribution for their mother. A fair few fell at the hands of great mortals, seen as unfit to rule from their position. Some faded away into nothingness as their followers dwindled, forgotten and lost in the ether. Maybe one day they will return, if their names are found on the lips of mortal men. There were two deities that survived the purge of the rebellion. They are the two that have and always will be. They did not choose a side in any of the wars as they are the arbiters of life and death itself. Iasis, the deity of life, only ever depicted as a cowled figure engulfed in a sunburst. Their followers say that seeing their light is the essence of life itself. They are followed by the doctors, the artisans of the world, and mothers give praise to them for a healthy child. Iuna, the deity of death, is depicted as a cowled skull engulfed in darkness. Warriors tell tales of seeing their face before a most ferocious battle, and soothsayers claim they are the worst omen one can receive. They are revered by all and worshipped by few as the one who shepherds the souls into their proper resting place. Both of these deities are as old as time itself, and scholars will tell us that they were there when Io breathed the plane into existence and that they will be there after it is torn asunder. Friends of Io, they are called. And the last remaining deities of the old pantheon do they stand. The plane had been ravaged by 10,000 years of war. First between Io's followers and the Lesser Gods, then between the twin dragon deities and the Lesser Gods, and finally between the twins themselves. 
After all of this, the plain of Stantera was finally being able to rebuild. And rebuild they did. There are six countries that have risen out of the ashes that the plain of Stantera had become. There were power struggles, assuredly, but nothing on the scale that the previous ages had seen. The remaining deities took a less direct approach, each retreating to their own plane and influencing their followers from there. This allowed for a more natural progression in the land, and the plane was finally settling into the balance Io had wanted from the very beginning. The continent was slowly splitting in two, forming two separate continents, each with their own cultures, histories, and peoples. The first real major city didn't pop up for several hundred years. The oldest city that is still on the map today is Nutsen in the land of Pindon. With cities and land came innovation, and with innovation came the need for power, and with the need of power rose a continual power struggle amongst the people of Statera. Battles over who should rule, who owned what land, and over how things should be done. This smaller conflict lasted for several hundred years as the people of Statera settled into the new normal of the land without gods roaming around. Pendon is the last remaining bastion of the land before war. Families dating back to the Age of Peace, and these families rule Pendon, each in charge of a different part of the country. Pendon is very much a caste-ruled system. Everyone is born into their place and will stay there likely for their entire life. The families rule together and try to maintain a peace throughout the land and maintain the balance that Io had so painfully sought after since the beginning of time. The Finthel are the elven family in charge of magic. The Rune Spears are the half-orc family in charge of security. The Hammerhelms are the Dwarven family in charge of production. The Dawn Watchers, the Gnomish family, are in charge of the entertainment. The Miastans are the Dragonborns in charge of religion. And the Rainfinders are the Kobold family in charge of the government. Durham is the land built by dwarves. It's not a large civilization if you look at just the surface, as much has been built into the ground in the numerous mountains. Though most outsiders have never been to the Jewel of Durham, the capital, it is speculated to have been built under the city of Konduma in the vast mountain range out to the west. Delg of the Frostbeard clan sits on the throne of Konduma and supposedly rules the vast subterranean cities. Delg has ruled Durham since its founding, having been given an extraordinary lifespan by an unknown force. Durham is also the land of giants, though most have made a tenuous peace to live with the dwarves and other races. Lentesia is the outcast, the rabble of Pindon, the unwanted of Durham, and the drifters of the other lands. Though there isn't too much of a strict government, the land seems to function well enough. It runs on a type of outlaw justice system. Those caught or even sometimes just suspected of a crime may be killed outright, though trial by combat is a large function of the society. 
Hamas has a large hold on the land, and though, through the ages, her brother, Tenos, has managed to corrupt it with rolling fog banks of his chaos magic. The land of Thignia is a simple land run by two subcultures, the nomads and the traders. Clans of nomads travel into the mountain ranges that span across the land and bring back wood for the traders' boats. The traders then supply the nomads with food, weapons, and other craftsmen items. The two groups live in relative harmony and rely on one another to survive. The nomads practice the old ways, and some do not even speak the common tongue. Some say Rarala is where Io herself shed her blood to create a time of peace, and that some of her blood seeped into the ground and made it highly fertile and the best of all the lands to grow crops and raise animals. Farmers here worship Hamas and give up offerings for a plentiful harvest. And there's also a mine in Hala, the capital city, that produces the foundation for a majority of the plains' magical items. The land is run on a feudal system, with Xanalor as the king of the land. The Baklands is a land run by dragon. Yes, you heard that correct. Divet, the Lady of Yellow, Creature of Fire, Bringer of Death, and Eater of Bunnies, has ruled the land for the last thousand years. With the most elegant humanoid form, there is no doubt how she was able to trick the King of the Bachlands into marrying her just before she ripped his throat out to declare herself the new queen. Now, with her brood, she has turned the Bachlands into a giant tithing system, all funneling to the queen's coffers. Many have tried to rebel and take back the land, but against a small army of dragons, there's little they can do. Relative peace has been found throughout the land, but with a surplus of peace, chaos is left lacking in the balance. In a world ruled by balance, who knows how long it will be before the scales right themselves and the chaos takes its control over the plane. I guess the better question is not when will it happen, but if there will be someone to help restore the balance when chaos takes over. Another group of noble adventurers here to save the plane against all of the forces that may be threatening the plane. There is so much more to the world of Statera that I want to share with you. Deep dives into each of the lands, backgrounds on the deities, Tales of old and stories that have been lost to time in my world that you get to listen to and maybe even be a part of. Thank you so much for making it this far. If you enjoyed what you heard, please come back next week to hear stories from the world. Check us out at ABCDNDPod on Twitter, where I will be running polls for the content on the podcast, as well as seeing what you want to hear. You can find me at DPungeonMaster on Twitter. I hope you all have a great week, and remember, to help control the monster population, have your monsters spayed or neutered. See you next week. Pun.
ever a single hour impending, a monster is violently attacked. 3,000 monsters were rescued last year alone. For hundreds of others, help came too late. Hello, I'm Elvis Tesley with the SSPCM. Will you be an angel for a helpless monster? Every day, innocent monsters are attacked by reckless adventurers seeking glory, and they are crying out for help. Call or join online in the next 30 minutes, and you'll receive this Tartarian Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Monsters welcome kit with a photo of a monster in the shelter right now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are you tired of feeling like you don't belong? Aggravated with having to constantly find a new cave or tomb to inhabit because some upstart adventurers heard of a local prophecy and now want to dig up your living room? Are you finding yourself around individuals who can't say your name properly because they don't have a six foot wide mouth and three tongues? Well, I have a solution for you. The unsung of Lentesia are recruiting, and we want you. Too often have people like us been cast aside and overlooked treated as burdens and threats by those who invade our domain and act like we're in the wrong for defending what's ours. So seek out the unsung of Lentesia today and join us. Or perish.